I think personal safety as a output of true care and concern by the leaders is a table setter for all the rest of the, the key metrics that as a leader one is required to deliver a world-class results on. Good morning everybody, this is a CI for Life podcast. I'm Rick Hyland with RLG International. This is the podcast for people that are passionate about personal and corporate continuous improvement. In January, we've been talking a lot about personal continuous improvement, goal setting, et cetera, et cetera. And in February, we're going to be talking about safety, how to improve it, and leadership. So I'm very excited today that we have a special guest, Gary Savage, who's the former president of Chevron Manufacturing, current board member of Team Inc. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Rick. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. You bet. Well, let's jump right into it. And uh, Gary, for the listeners, why don't you share some of your personal and professional background so we understand uh, you and your, your background in history? Okay. Well, I, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, first one in the family to go to college. Uh, parents really didn't have any money, and so they made it uh, clear to me that if I wanted to go on to college, I was going to have to pay my own way. So I went to a, a no-name engineering school that was uh, then called Newark College of Engineering. It's now called New Jersey Institute of Technology. Worked 30 hours a week in a grocery store while I went through engineering school. Uh, got out of school, uh, hired on with Chevron in uh, Perth Amboy, New Jersey. There used to be a refinery there. And spent the next 42 years uh, working uh, for Chevron. Moved nine times around the country. All of my career was was in a refinery or a petrochemical plant. I had the good fortune to be the facility manager at, at three chemical plants. I also managed uh, Chevron's 250,000 barrel a day refinery in the LA basin in El Segundo, California for 10 years. Was then asked to move to corporate headquarters for the last seven years of my career, uh, where I headed up, as you've already mentioned, the, the global manufacturing uh, system for Chevron. So I had responsibility for Chevron seven refineries around the world, and we provided functional guidance to the joint venture refineries in Asia and began the process of providing functional guidance to some upstream facilities. Retired uh, June of 2016, moved to the Dallas, Texas area to be close to our two grandsons. Most excellent. Okay. Well, let's jump right into the topic today, Gary, on uh, how to improve personal and process safety. And I know you have a lot of history, background, and passion around this. But just for the listeners, what, why are you so passionate about safety? So I, I think uh, there, there's a key connection uh, in, in leadership uh, that if you're going to be a successful, motivating leader, you, you need to convince the people that uh, work in your organization that you care about them. You care about them, their families, their well-being. And, and I, I don't think there's a better way to show that caring than in the area of, of personal safety. And, and that was always very high on, on my list. And, and it was a, a, a core principle of, of my leadership style. And, and the reason for that is that uh, before I was born, my, my dad uh, was hurt in an industrial accident. My dad was uh, drafted uh, right after Pearl Harbor, 
went to serve uh, in the military in Europe, was assigned to a railroad battalion, uh, came back from the war five years later, got a job working for a railroad in Jersey City, New Jersey. And, and one thing led to another while he was working night shift one night in November of 1947, a tragic accident. He was uh, uh, run over by uh, a series of cars, freight cars, lost both his legs at the age of wow. 26, was confined to a wheelchair for the balance of his life. And so not only was the artificial limb technology in 1947 nothing like it is today, the, uh, the psychiatric therapy for someone going through a traumatic event like that was, was non-existent. And so he, he had a very difficult life, but because of that, he, he made it difficult on those around him. And so I know firsthand hmm. uh, what the consequences are from uh, in, industrial injuries. And, and so that was always uh, a priority for me uh, in the facilities I've managed and really throughout my career. Well, thanks for sharing that. appreciate the openness. And uh, that makes a lot of sense on your passion for safety. And you've already shared one of the keys. I, I think you talked about caring. And uh, any other keys to improving safety and any examples that you'd want to share with the listeners? Yeah, so I, I think when I, I mentioned caring, uh, I, I believe as a leader, you have a moral responsibility to create a safe work environment. Uh, but I also learned that there's a business driver, that, that if you can truly convince people that, that you, you care about them, you care about their families, that they will reciprocate and show that they care about the business. And that helps you as a leader shift the pendulum from have to, I have to do this or else I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get written up or I'm going to be disciplined to I, I want to. I, I want to do this because I, I like the company I work for. I want us to be successful. And as a leader, if you can make that shift from I have to to I want to, that's powerful. But uh, the key is that people are, are very, very perceptive. And if you're just uh, providing lip service uh, to safety, you're going to see right through that. And, and that's actually going to have a negative impact on your ability to, to lead an organization. Yeah. And, and so, Rick, one of the things I, I did when I was managing that refinery in, in Los Angeles, and it's just a refinery with 1,200 employees, uh, 500 or so contractors uh, during normal operation, that 500 contractor headcount would go up to 2,500 when we were having a, a major turnaround. Yep. When anybody got hurt, whether it be employee or contractor, I wanted to see them in my office. And, and, and when I first started this, uh, people thought it was going to be an interrogation uh, that I was going to come down on folks. But that, that, was the, that wasn't the case at all. And, and so just for an example, if, if, if you happen to get hurt, I'd ask you to come to my office. I'd, I'd ask your supervisor and write up the chain of command. And, and if it was a contractor, I wanted to see same thing, chain of command, including whoever the site uh, leader was for that particular contract company, as well as that site leader's boss. That sounds pretty intimidating. Well, yeah, it does. But <laughs> it, it, and I could see how putting myself in the, in the shoes of the, of the people on the other side, 
how that might happen, but that's where my behavior as a leader comes into play. Okay. And I would start the conversation by say, Rick, well, how are you? How you feeling? How's your, if your hand was, say, what got hurt, how's your hand doing? Uh, uh, you, you have full mobility, how are things? And just let you talk about how you're feeling. Okay. And I would say, well, Rick, you know, I've got, I've got the injury report here. I, I see what it says. And, uh, but why don't you tell me in your own words what, what happened? And then give you time to talk about that. And, and then the third point I would bring up, well, Rick, if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything different? And, and mm. what I was looking for there was some uh, level of personal accountability. Yeah. That, yeah, you know what, in hindsight, I could have done this better. Or, you know, as human beings, we all make mistakes. And, and, and I, I was just looking to see if, if the injured party had any reflections on what his or her personal behavior might, how that might have been different. And, and then after that, I'd say, well, Rick, you know, what, what do you like to do when you're not working? You know, are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, and, and just leave the, the individual, give you some time to talk about your family, your kids. Uh, what do you like to do when you're not working? Mm, I like that. And, and then I would, I would share the story I, I shared earlier about my dad and, and, and talk about why it's so important to me and, and try to drive home the point that you know every refinery instruction or, or uh, plant in, instruction, uh, whether it be a lockout, tagout, working from heights, uh, blinding and tagging, keep, keep right on down the, the list is, is written in someone else's blood. And, and, and the reason we have those uh, refinery instructions is because people have been killed in the past. Yeah. And, and, and I, I would talk about how, uh, hey, you know, uh, in our culture, uh, especially if, if you're a, a guy, you learn how to do things around the house, uh, how to work on cars. Your, your dad teaches how to do that. And, and my dad being confined to a wheelchair had, had no ability to do that. And, and, and so my mechanical aptitude is, I know if you ask my wife what my mechanical aptitude is, but it's zero. And, and so we, we have an adopted uh, son and, and when he was in his, his teen years and it was time for me to, to teach him how to do stuff around the house and how to work on cars, I, I had no ability to do that. And, and so what I used to tell the guys uh, at the refinery when I went through safety orientation, I would say it's been 60 years, six zero years since my dad got hurt. And there still are knock-on effects. And, and so when you go out in that refinery hmm. and you, you make a decision this afternoon, and keep in mind that the people you care most about in life, the people that you're out here working to support, will be impacted by the choices you make. And maybe even people you don't even know yet because they're not born. Uh, so it, it's a serious business. And, and to, again, to me, it's the most important thing we have as a leader to create a, a safe work environment. Uh, and I, I do believe it's a moral responsibility, but I also believe there's strong business drivers. Well said. Yeah. So I've written down four principles so far in our discussion. One is the caring element. Two is this uh, example of being genuine that you mentioned earlier. And then I love the story around personal accountability rather than a big group message or newsletter or say it at a town hall, have that personal accountability. And then with that, that personal connection are kind of three, four key success factors to, you know, making safety important 
Um, Gary, you have a great story around what you used to do at Christmas to make personal connections and show caring. Do you mind sharing that story? Not, not at all. So when, when I was near retirement and as I was uh, out trying to mentor younger leaders, what, what I would tell them is each of you need to do something that's going to differentiate yourself, yourself from all the, the previous leaders that have been in that position. And one of the things I did back from the late 80s when I was an operations manager at a chemical plant in Louisiana, up until the last Christmas I spent in, in, uh, in the El Segundo refinery in Los Angeles, I would go visit every control room uh, that I had a responsibility for, both on Christmas Eve and, and on Christmas Day. And, and earlier in my career, that was one or two control rooms. And, and so it was 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, the El Segundo refinery has 12 control rooms. Hmm. So it was, you know, five hours. Uh, so our, our family is Catholic. We go to mass on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, I'd get home back to the house around 5.30 and I'd head out to the refinery. And it, it'd be after midnight by, by the time I got back home. And, and um, I'd help my wife put the presents out for the kids. We'd open presents in the morning, and I'd go back out to the refinery for another five-hour stint going around visiting the control rooms. And, and it was the type of thing that, yeah, was it burdensome? Yes. I'm very fortunate to have a very understanding uh, wife. But I was trying to do something as a leader to, to show that I, I understood and, and appreciated the fact that those guys who were working rotating shifts spent time away from their families o over the holiday. And, and I still remember clearly the, the, last, the last visit before I moved up to corporate headquarters. I was out in front of one of the control rooms getting out of my car. A young operator came up to me and said, uh, we, we exchanged Christmas greetings. And he said, you know, the older guys said you'd be out here, but I, I didn't believe him. And, and he, he was just truly uh, genuine when he said, thank you very much for showing that you care about us. Mm. And so again, I, I see a, a connection that as a leader, how do, how, do you, how do you lead an organization forward? I think you have to show that you really care about people. And, and when I say care about them, doesn't mean that you abdicate your responsibility to hold people accountable. That's still part of your job, a necessary part of your job. But I, I believe that you can hold people accountable without being rude. I think you can hold people mm, accountable. Good one. Still demonstrating true care and concern. And, and that combination is, is what I believe helped uh, to make me uh, be an effective leader. Yeah, I would suspect, Gary, that because you showed genuinely that you cared and connected, that allowed you to hold them accountable. The two go together. Yeah, and, and Rick, I think I think most people recognize that that being a leader, uh, it, it's not easy. You have to make mm -hmm. difficult decisions, and 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 I think one of the things I've learned throughout my career is people want the leader to to make a decision, and I I've seen situations where uh, leaders get get bogged down by consensus driven uh, consensus driven leadership style. I, I think an effective leader has to listen to input, uh, the appropriate level of input, and, and then make a decision communicating why 
uh, hey guys, I need you to do this because here, here's what I, I believe. That same leader needs to have the courage that after six, nine, 12 months, whatever the time frame, if it's obvious that what he decided, he or she decided is, is not working, that to have the courage to go back and tell the group, hey, you know what, I, I was wrong. And, and Rick, you know, your idea was right. And, and, and so we're, we're gonna go your way now. Wow. So I think effective leadership requires leaders to be decisive after uh, listening to the appropriate uh, level of input, but then also having the courage to admit when you're wrong. And, and uh, that's the balance I, I strove for over, over my career. What a great leadership lesson. There are three principles in there. They listen to input, make decisive decisions, particularly around this topic of safety. And then, you know, if, if it's not going the right direction, admit with some humility that you were wrong. Let's take a different direction. And often that third one, Gary, is the hardest one to do. So thanks for sharing that example. Say, what, one of the big issues in industry still, Gary, is this idea, can we do both safety and efficiency at the same time? Does one sacrifice the other? What, what would you say to people that still are struggling with that question in, in their plants or on their shift or in their organizations? So Rick, I, I believe you absolutely can do both. And, and as, I, as I mentioned, I, I think that true care and concern for, for the people in your organization it is a key enabler to, to running an, an efficient business. And, and all, all of the refineries that I've interfaced with, all the chemical plants I've interfaced with, if you see uh, world-class safety performance, both on personal safety and process safety, you typically see world-class performance on environmental compliance, on reliability, on cost management, on efficiency. I, I, I think uh, personal safety as a output of true care and concern by the leaders is a table setter for all the rest of the, the key metrics that as a leader one is required to deliver uh, world-class results on. Mm, well said. Thank you for your input on that one. So many great lessons you've shared on leadership and safety and appreciate it. Any other examples or any other uh, key success factors you'd like to share? No, Rick, I, I think we've covered the, the top ones. I, I, it's, it's a never-ending journey. Yeah. You're, you're never finished. And, and as, as through the theme, your theme of continuous improvement, society changes with time. Uh, therefore, the people within your organization are, are going to change. And, and so as a leader, you have to con be continually looking for new ways to make that personal connection with, with your people. And, and because if, if you continue to do things the way you did 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, you, you're going to lose effectiveness. I, I think the key elements remain, and I, I start, as you've heard, with, with true care and concern, but you're going to have to continue to look uh, as your, the culture within your organization evolves. How do you continue to be an effective leader? Well said. Nice tie into continuous improvement. Gary, really appreciate your time today. And um, have a great weekend and a great February. All right, Rick. Cheers. Always, always nice chat with you. All right, take care. Thanks.